Hello and welcome to The Stack. This week we'll look at the new issue of Max Sweeney's Quarterly, a new Karl Lagerfeld biography and also a beautiful small title called Isolari. Enjoy the show. From Midori House in London, this is The Stack, 30 minutes of print industry analysis, and I am Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Max Sweeney's Quarterly is the long-standing literary journal of the San Francisco-based publishing house Max Sweeney's. Since it launched in 1998, the publication has been famous for its open approach to format and style, changing from issue to issue depending on its content. The latest, issue 64, is a deluxe edition that breaks further ground on format by being part print, part audio, and uses these two media to explore creative storytelling. It's not just a magazine with an audiobook version, it's interactive. You might have to call a number to hear some voicemails, or find out the end of a written story by listening to two richly produced alternate endings. To pull this off, the Max Sweeney's team worked with the audio production company Radiotopia, who are behind some of the biggest podcasts in America. And the whole thing took a couple of years to put together. To find out more about the special deluxe edition of Max Sweeney's Quarterly, Monaco's Holly Fisher spoke to the editor, Claire Boyle. So this is an issue of the Max Sweeney's Quarterly, which is typically a literary journal that just comes front cover, back cover stories in the middle. Um, but for this issue, our audio issue, it comes in a linen-bound box with a bunch of objects inside, booklets, books, keychains, scrolls. And each different object is its own discrete story, and each story has an audio component to it. So you scroll the illustrations as you listen to a story that goes along with it, or you listen to a f the first part of a story in audio and then you read the rest of it on the page. Um, so each different object has its totally own relationship between, between audio and print. And you worked with um, Julie Shapiro from Radiotopia on this, who was, I guess she was your audio expert while you sort of dealt with the print side of things. What exchanges were you having about the sort of the opportunities of, of your mediums and how they could enhance each other? Yeah, so we worked, um, we partnered with Radiotopia on this. So Julie Shapiro and Audrey uh, Mardovich. And then we also worked with senior producer Andrew Leland. So there were there were a good number of brilliant audio brains on here. Um, and that was the most exciting thing about working on this is that we we all brought our own kind of perspectives to our own mediums, but then kind of cross cross pollinated. And the expected benefits of audio is that you can just you can deliver emotion so immediately with tone of voice, with intonation, with this kind of thing. And then with, with the printed page, then you can bring kind of a richness of detail and images. And so they kind of, they, they all came together to create like a, a, a very multi-dimensional experience in that way. Now, this is a multimedia project. And I think that term really conjures up images of, you know, like digital content, social media, that kind of cross-platform online kind of thing. But this is such an analog project, which you maybe wouldn't expect from something that's based... 50% in audio but I guess you're first and foremost a print publication so was keeping that analog element of it really important to you? Super important yeah we feel um, one of our core values 
at the quarterly is is the importance of the tact the tactileness of of a publication of of like a magazine and picking up and feeling it and smelling it and this is a such a tactile experience so there's like you're constantly turning pages you're constantly picking up different objects you're scrolling you're you're dialing on your phone. Um, but something really interesting about this experience is that at a certain point, I started to wonder, like, once you add the visual and the audio and the written, like, at what point are you adding uh, mediums together so much that it just becomes, like, television or, you know, movies? Like, what what separates this from, like, a more digital experience in that it is bringing all of these different mediums together? But I think... What, what we discovered as we were working on it is, is the, the big difference between this and like sitting down and watching a television show is that you are the, the final key as the reader to put everything together. So you're not sitting back and kind of like being enveloped by this multi-sensory experience. You're kind of creating it. You're the key to like adding the audio to the text, to the physical objects. Um, so you're kind of like in the center of it in that way. Yeah, that's so true. And I guess you, the, the sort of two key mediums that you're using are such intimate ones as well, um, that that's why they would work so well together. I also wondered in terms of, I mean, like writing for the page, and writing for audio are such different skills. And I wondered how this project made you think about language. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's a great question. Um, I mean, I think writing for the ear feels like it wants to be springier. It wants to be more conversational. And writing for the pages so you can bring in so many more flourishes and descriptive language and unexpected vocabulary and... In that way, it was it was interesting to a play with writing for the the best version of writing for the ear and the best version of writing for the page, but also kind of like flipping it and saying like, what does that kind of springy conversational text look like on the page, and what does the like really flourished, you know, ornate writing sound like out loud? Um, so we played with kind of like flipping those expectations as well, which was really fun. And perhaps you could just give us a couple of examples of the stories that you commissioned and how they work in their print and their audio components. Yeah, so there's a piece called Clear Voice by Kate Sopper, who is a Pulitzer Prize-nominated um, composer. Thank you for your purchase of Clear Voice for individual or business use. And this is a super cool piece. So it, it takes the form, it's like a long, thin, shiny booklet. And it, it takes the form of like when you get a new iPhone and you have that uh, software upload booklet that comes with it that kind of like shows you how to upload your iPhone. So it's that. It takes the form of that, but instead of uploading or, or installing an iPhone, you're installing a uh, software into your brain that allows you to uh, send messages through your thoughts. So it's this really wacky science fiction-y piece. So as you're reading along in the booklet, as the software upload is developing, you're also listening to the speech at the same time. Step one, initialization. Hi, I'm Dr. Simon. I'll be guiding you through the upload process. It's important that you keep reading along as you listen to the sound of my voice. There are crucial moments in the story where the text and the audio are suddenly doing different things. So you're hearing different words out loud than you're reading on the page. And it's in those moments that this darker meaning emerges from, from behind the piece. And so you're kind of like 
detectiving your way through what is really going on here as you're installing the software into your brain. She plays with the relationship between audio um, and print in this really exciting way because it's there's a simultaneity there um, in that you're hearing and you're reading the same thing and they're they're paired exactly together but then there are these crucial moments where they just slip and something comes out from under that. So that was a really beautiful piece. Let's try a simple exercise in virtual interaction. When you hear the tone, I'd like you to tell me your name, but don't say it out loud. Just think it. Did you think it? And just finally, I wondered how working on this changed your approach to storytelling or or taught you something new about storytelling. I mean, you've been telling stories for years throughout your career but it's always nice to get a project that makes you think about things a bit differently. I think the thing that it has made us think a lot about is the importance of letting a story take the form that it it's best to exist in to kind of like express itself to its fullest and let it lead. Um, so that might mean a print only story that might mean an audio piece that might mean a multi, you know, medium piece. But I think the process of commissioning each piece and watching it take the form that it ought to take with like no boundaries on what that means. And and the most important thing there is that it's allowed to take, it's not forced into any one form. It's allowed to kind of sprawl out into the unknown. And now a fascinating new biography of Karl Lagerfeld, written by Patrick Ocant, former artistic director of Vogue Paris. Patrick knew Karl for a long time and brought some insight on the designer's life. Here's Patrick telling me more about his book, Karl, No Regrets. He was very cerebral, Karl. And uh, that's why, till the end, it's surprising to, to discover that Finally, he had a lot, a lot, a lot of enormous culture, but he can share with many, many people. He shared in the, with quite a very interesting people till the 1990. But after that, he just diving in the fashion world with the fashion people, he have next to me a marvelous way working as a creator and a manager, manager of the fashion as he did. He did it so well, but it was far, far from his, finally, his capacity of intellectual and, and mental, uh, the brain he had. He had much more capacity in his brain. I mean, it looks like this way. And, and one thing in the book as well, of course, there's amazing anecdotes. And, and as I said, I've learned a lot of new things about Carl, but it's also a very visual book. And I think that's very much complements because I know you and Carl, you discussed, you know, uh, you know, Carl's homes, the design. I mean, you had this appreciation for art of the 18th century. So I think the visual element for the book was very important. Was that always something that you wanted to do with the book? Yes, uh, of course, the, the visual is it, it's, it's a part 
of our lives. We were too visual, Carl and I, and uh, we we share a fantastic adventure through the discovering of the trésor of the 18th century. After that, we can show all in, in, in the book. It was impossible. First of all, I think the best route for the iconography of Carl is in Carl scrapbooks. You just sell few, few, few scrapbooks on the Sudby auction this uh, last weekend. The auction price was, uh, Amber price was absolutely incredible, but we can understand. But beside these few books, there is so many, so many scrapbook of Carl's when he, he works every day of his life till the numeric, after with the numeric it changed. But when it was a paper period, he glue every day pictures, polaroids, drawings, and write, writing, 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 writing. And then you, if we have the opportunity once to uh, rediscover all these scrapbooks, then you have the best iconography, the best iconography of what all we found, all we built. Patrick, I was, I was going to ask, uh, of course, you know, for a while, you know, you stopped talking to Carl as well, but how important for you was to write this book? Because I guess it's almost like a, a service for people that, you know, loves Carl's career because you have information that perhaps other people wouldn't be able. So I guess that's what, one of your main reasons to write this book, right? When I started to write the book, it was not a book. It was just some anecdote I threw on the paper. I was waiting somebody and uh, people was late and Carl was, uh, uh, was in hospital in very, very bad condition. He was very sick. And I was, um, I was sad for him, even if we don't see each other so often, but I was very sad for, for him. And our planet was very different. He was working on the fashion I was working in art. So I suddenly, when I, listened that he was very, very sick. I felt embarrassed in the deep of my, of my mind. And I, I had the, the opportunity just to, to throw an anecdote on the paper that I did. And the day after another one, and the day after another one, I just started to, to write like this. I never think it could be published or editing and anything. And after he did. It was just two weeks after I started to, to write the first line. And then I said, I, I have to do my duty. I mean, I have to do Monday and I have to write this. It was for me, it was not for the others. But you know how our people, when I announced to some friends that I was starting to write my some memories about Carl say, oh, you must publish it, you must publish it. I say, please, no, that's not, it's not the moment for that. And then one month later, I didn't have a for Lady Suzanne Zore from, uh, uh, from the Flamayo edition came to me, came home and said, Patrick, we offer you to have a book with, with all these memories and what you can write about that. And I say, is it possible to, to add some pictures? Yes, of course. 
And that's why we start like that. The work of Flammarion was excellent. I want to conclude it, conclude it to them, and especially Lady Isore, because it was not easy to publish a book which is attractive to read and attractive to see, to look at the pictures. And there realized an excellent uh, cooking there. And the book, from what I can see, has been translated, uh, I think, French, English, German. Uh, is that, uh, is that, is that the case? It will be published in Russian now. And uh, I think it will be published in Spanish too. That will recover. And I think it's normal. I don't do that for, for myself. It's not for me. Me, my career is beside it and other things. But uh, for the point of Carl, it's really important that this book can, should be published all over the planet. That's the most important. And, uh, and I understand. Because I know people who wrote the other book, many of them came to me, and especially as journalists, and I helped them. But I do understand that this one is a little bit particular, and um, that's why I, I'm very glad, uh, even for the memory of Carl, to say, okay, uh, you're not there anymore. Everybody uh, say Carl forever, and it's not forever, it's for everywhere. And that's important for everywhere. And Patrick, of course, besides, you know, writing this fabulous book as well, you are a photographer, right? So you, you still currently do kind of photography. It's interesting that you moved away because you were the creative director for Vogue Paris. So you kind of left publishing for a bit and then your focus is photography, right? When I was working for Vogue, I was helping photographer David Bellet or, or Mr. Horse or Mr. Guy Bourdin, or of course Newton and people like that. But I, I never, never took a picture at this, at this moment. And I, I just uh, start to, to take pictures later when I have to work in Russia on the, on the Grand Manège in Moscow for scenography, for enormous scenography. And I need some repairs uh, of, um, of architectural items. That's why I start to, to manipulate the camera. And uh, step by step, I uh, do picture for myself, starting to exactly that the book of Carl. When I start to do photography, it was just few shots for me, except the shooting for for the for the working scenography for Versailles Russian people. And then it's the others who came to me and said, but Patrick, you, you do great picture, you have to to print them, and I said, please let me alone. It's Garbo, you know, let me alone. But finally, uh, I say, okay, and I found a wonderful printer in Paris, Mr. Bordas. He used to work with Aleshinsky for the engraving. And uh, that's why we start to take in, in place this uh, very special type of uh, photography. You have on my website, you can see on my website, but the image of the photography, I precise image of the photography through the screen is very different than the photography itself. The photography itself is on paper, a thick paper with glue on uh, D-bones, with a metal steel, very straight like this. And that changed completely the appearance. And finally, my, my photography is looking, and I know that Carl appreciated because he saw few of them, but he never said a word, he was too jealous anyway. But anyway, he knows and I was working as a station uh, picture, pictorialism, 
uh, style. But the way I produce the pictures now is my special technique of printed is like a pastel. It's a pastel. It's very it, the inkle the inkle colors dives in the paper, and after it's create uh, on the surface of the paper like a velvet. It's very special. That the screen can uh, give the the right. Uh, Reality. That was Patrick Card. Carl No Regrets is out now. We turn our attention now to Isolari, a small subscription-only magazine that deals in big ideas. The title was co-founded by Sebastian Clark and India Enanga and comes out every two months. I spoke with Sebastian and Midori House about the concept of Isolari and all about the latest issue. Isolari are a series of books that we release once every two months to an audience worldwide. And what we're really trying to do is bring international literary culture into sync. And we're interested in synchronized media, people reading the same thing at the same time. And that's something that we feel like magazines have always done well in the past, but are kind of getting caught up and failing to do with social media. And The way we do that is not by entering into this question of whether print is dead or alive, but really thinking up new interfaces by which we experience print culture and the written word. And um, that's the premise for our series. There's something quite playful about the formats as well. Maybe I don't know if that's the intention, but I, I think it's quite playful. I think it's quite, uh, you know, beautiful. T tell us about, do you like the aesthetic of that as well? I mean, we're, we're going to talk about the content in a bit, but I think the aesthetic is quite important in this case. Yes, I mean, really, the starting point for us was that they are the anti-coffee table book. They're the opposite of a book from Fighton. They're incredibly small and made for your pocket, but they're not really limited by the greatest. They're really quite intense, little powerful things, and that's the feeling we wanted to create. And we work with a great graphic designer, Ben Gans, who's done great work in music, and we kind of wanted to bring that sort of energy to literary publishing. And one very interesting, I mean, I have, you know, six editions in front of me, the variety of topics. I mean, your very first one, I think, was kind of a, a look at the color salmon, but in a more, in a very kind of interesting intellectual way. But we had feminist poetry, the latest edition here, Archipelago. I mean, how do you select the person or the people that will contribute to the issue and, and the themes? Is this something you, you have a think you like, this variety as well? Because it's clearly not boring. I think every issue will bring something new for those who follow Isolari. We're, we're guided by our intuition, mostly, to tell you the truth. And what we want to do, really, is almost provide a kind of poetic form of journalism. Mm. They all kind of draw tangents to the moments of our time in different ways. I mean, the Russian feminist poetry, we released that then because we knew there was going to be a large series of protests against Putin that month. And um, it did, had a great effect in helping to catalyze that. And um, that similarly was the thought with um, the book on salmon, as you said. Um, I, like, I very much like this one. It's the very, very first as well. Yeah, so something that we talk about is that we want each book to really do something and to be the start of something that they're not like retrospective things reflecting on works that people have made but they're they're prospective they're starting points little seeds 
that was the intention of the book on salmon with the artists, architects, cooking sections um, who used this book to launch a campaign to boycott salmon farming, which then became an exhibition at Tate Britain and has kind of gone other places. And so really they're seeds in our mind. Oh, very interesting. Tell us about the, I, f- I believe that's the latest one, Archipelago by Eduard Glissant and Hans uh, Ulrich Obrist as well. That's, that's an interesting one. Uh, would you mind introducing this one for us? Yeah, so we released that last month kind of as a way to sum up the work that we've done so far. It's the sixth in the series. Because you did mention Archipelago, the island of texts in a way as well. Yeah, and so Edward Glissant was a great inspiration for Hans Ulrich Obrist, and he kind of informed everything that Hans Ulrich has done in art institutions and media over the past 20 years. And um, what Glissant kind of pursued was a third way between globalization and nationalism, and really promoted the experience of difference as the principle by which we should move through the world. And that's something that we're pursuing with this series. It's why you need to subscribe. It's why you need to move from place to place with us each month. For us, we're really trying to put someone like Edouard Glissant in a pop cultural context. And it's interesting about the format because it's a small format and actually it is very good with shipping because we are going through some very difficult uh, period for shipping. I mean, here at Monaco as well, and so many people have been hearing that. So actually the size of it might be actually helpful in this case. Yeah, I mean, the premise of Isolari was we want to create a new international literary culture. We're kind of very opposed to the notion that literature should be about having a teacup in front of a fireplace. These are books for people going out into the world and experiencing the world. And that's what we wanted to do. And we realized to do that, we had to ship internationally from the very beginning. And um, already we have, we're shipping to 30 countries after a year. Amazing. And that's the kind of community that we're creating. And that also meant that we had to commission all of our works, that we couldn't go out and bid on the next Sally Rooney, not that we're ever going to do that, but that we had to work with our authors from the beginning to make work specifically for our format so that we can distribute internationally and it's not broken up and balkanized as happens in publishing and um, sell direct to consumer. So, I mean, we're doing print runs of six to 8,000 without selling a book on Amazon, without having a book in a bookstore. And I think that's really what kind of makes us different at this point. Yeah, that's quite remarkable, actually, those numbers. And, and Sebastian, tell us what are you working up at the moment as well? I'm not sure if you can review exactly what uh, kind of issue seven will be. Well, we like to keep it a surprise, Mm. but it's, I can reveal part of it. It's a work with Scholastique Mukasonga, who we've worked with before, who um, is a Rwandan French novelist, who for me is probably the greatest voice in world literature today. And um, she is reflecting on restitution across museums the dissolution of Rwandan history and doing that with an incredibly exciting person from Hollywood. So it's a real mashup and uh, we don't really know how it'll turn out. But if there's two people that can transform each other's practices, it's these two people. So we're super excited. Well, I'm very much looking forward to see that. And Sebastian, just before Isolari, I'm, I'm just curious. I mean, did you work with publishing before? Well, what's kind of your background before you've done uh, Isolari? No, I mean, it takes a long time to set up anything in publishing. Mm. So this is kind of a a project and dream that we've kind of lived throughout our 20s. And in that time in between, we're kind of doing other things for work. And that ranged from everything from ghostwriting a book to being a freelance researcher. So 
the place where this project really started was where I was working on a smartphone factory line in Dongguan. And um, wow. I was sent by my co-editor, India Enninger, a very small volume called Mount Analog by René Domal. And um, it was really, yeah, it was the counterpoint of the iPhone. And that's kind of the beginning feeling that we wanted to work with. That was Sebastian Clark from Isolari. Well, that's it for this week's show. My thanks to our editor, Nora Hall. If you have any comments or queries, feel free to write to me, Fernando, at fbandmonaco.com. And remember, we're back next Saturday at the same time. And meanwhile, you can listen to it again at monaco.com or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Before we go, a little song for you. Software with Island Sunrise. You've been listening to The Stack. I'm Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Thank you.